You filled your belly. I couldn't eat another thing. I'm absolutely stuffed. Now fill your brain with lightning knowledge. What can I do to speed the whole thing up, doctor? This is Lightning Lunch, a full hour of lightning talk with lightninginsider.com's Eric Erlinson. Did you see the memo about this? On Lightning Power Play. Good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Rowenson, your host from lightninginsider.com for this Thursday, January the 30th edition. And it feels like a Friday. I'm not going to lie. I woke up this morning and I thought, ooh, it's Friday. And I had to remember, no, 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 it's not Friday. What day is it? Oh, yeah, it's Thursday. Yes, it is Thursday, January the 30th. A little bit of a different schedule with the Monday, Wednesday, Friday games. Uh, kind of throwing me off this week. Uh, but today is Thursday. There's no lightning game tonight. Uh, they're in action tomorrow against the Anaheim Ducks for back-to-back games. They'll play Saturday in San Jose before they return home, and they will host the Vegas Golden Knights on Tuesday to start a three-game homestand next week. Of course, we're going to talk about last night's game in Los Angeles, Tampa Bay victorious, in case you didn't stay up. I'm sure plenty of people turned their televisions off at 2 nothing when the Kings were up. If you haven't learned anything yet, don't turn off a 2 nothing game. It's the year of the comeback. Nobody, no two-goal lead is safe, especially with his Lightning team. They did it just two weeks ago against L.A. We're going to break down and sort of signify or, or point out the couple of crucial key plays that turned that game around in Tampa Bay's favor. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Battle of Alberta. We talked about it yesterday on the show. That game was played last night. I tried my best to kind of keep an eye on it. I, as I said, I... Had a window open on my computer to kind of keep an eye on it. Pretty much saw what I needed to see. My timing just happened to be right. As I peeked over, their game was a little ahead of the Lightning game because of the pregame ceremony that honored Kobe Bryant and his daughter, as well as the seven other victims of that horrific helicopter crash on Sunday that claimed the life of all nine on board. I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, And of course, if you have questions, use the hashtag AskEE on Twitter. Bob already has his question in for today, so we will certainly address that. So if you have a question, if you have a comment, you can also email me. That's eric at lightninginsider.com, E-R-I-K at lightninginsider.com. And big trip for Tampa Bay for sure. Coming out of the break, we weren't too pleased with their effort Monday in Dallas. Final couple of periods, Dallas had a run of the play, a lot of turnovers in that game by Tampa Bay. Clean things up, I think, for the most part. Uh, Last night, I thought that was a key element that we had to look for. And I think we did receive it, even though the Kings did get out to a 2-0 lead. You know, it was a little bit of a slow start for the Lightning. 
especially when you take into account the Kings were playing their first game out of the break, whereas the Lightning already had a game under their belt. I felt, I felt that the Kings got a little bit of a boost from the pregame ceremony, which is going to happen from time to time. You know, it, even though it was a somber ceremony, I, you know, we knew it was going to be emotional, and it was. There were a lot of Kobe Bryant jerseys in the crowd, even though it was a Kings game. Of course, they had the spotlight on the two jerseys that he wore, 24 and 8, hanging from the rafters at Staples Center, a place he called home as a professional for 20 years. So you knew that pregame ceremony was going to be emotional. I thought the Kings did a really good job of putting that together, the first event in the Staples Center since that event uh, on Sunday, the crash. The Lakers and the Clippers actually canceled or postponed a game that was supposed to be played earlier in the week. So last night was the first event inside Staples Center since then. So you knew there was going to be a lot of emotion if you saw the images still outside of Staples Arena, Staples Center. People still bringing flowers. You know, the makeshift memorials that are put up outside there. So you knew there was a lot of energy from the fans. And sometimes that carries over to a team, and I think it did last night. Because to start that game, the Kings were quicker to pucks. They were especially quicker getting back to pucks. You know, the Lightning couldn't establish a forecheck because they weren't getting in quick enough to be able to recover the puck. And that allowed the Kings to have a good chunk of the puck possession in that game, or in the first per period, rather, because the shot attempts were 19-14 in favor of the Kings in that game uh, in the opening 20 minutes. And you can see it. If you've seen these game flow charts, if you've utilized also the game flow on the NHL app, I haven't played around with that one too much, but I'm aware that it's there. Again, I still use Natural Stat Trick for a lot of uh, these stats that I, I bring to you guys. You know, you, you can see in the early stages of the game how the Kings had it, and then Tampa Bay got their pushback late in the period. And it was one nothing Kings after the first power play goal by Tyler Toffoli. Some wonder if he's auditioning for the Lightning. Maybe. Like They did get the power play goal from Toffoli, a backhander from the slot that beat Andre Vasilevsky. Then it quickly turned to 2 nothing. 78 seconds into the second period. And I saw some people criticize Andre Vasilevsky for letting in this goal. It was a mid-range shot from just inside the top of the left circle. But I will also tell you this, that was a knuckle puck. Kind of fitting. We use the term knuckle puck in L.A. right? If you've ever watched, what was that, Mighty Ducks 2? Mighty Ducks 2. That was the one where they just portrayed Iceland as a bunch of Viking villains which I thought was completely unfair. 
But every movie like that, I guess, needs a protagonist, antagonist. I always get those two phrases mixed up. Antagonist. So it was definitely a knuckle puck. You could see it on the replay. It didn't really have a lot of... It was kind of going end over end. And uh, it was hard It was hard to read. It was hard to read. He, he, I, I, think, I think Vasilevsky had his angle. I thought it was there. Um, just a hard puck for him to read. So it's 2 nothing Kings, and you're thinking, okay. Might be one of those games. Might be a situation where the emotions of the moment to open the game were going to just flow in L.A.'s favor. Because it certainly looked that way. But, if you were watching the telecast, things kind of turned a couple of minutes later when Austin Wagner got behind the Lightning D. I didn't see, or I don't remember who sent the puck in, but it was kind of a floating pass. You know, one of those alley-oops, if you will over the Lightning defense, and they went up to try and glove it down. Didn't work. Lands right where Austin Wagner was. He gets in on a breakaway from just inside the blue line in. And Vasilevsky makes the save. We saw him make plenty of those on Monday's game. But Jim Fox, who is the television analyst for the LA Kings, was down between the benches, and this is why it's great. One of the best things that they've ever done is, is put an analyst between the benches for telecasts in hockey. Because he said as soon as that play happened, it got the Lightning's attention on the bench. Right? You, you see a play like that, it's going to get your attention. And it did. So if you want to say that that woke them up. That was the play that g grabbed them and said, you know, you need to get into this game a little bit better. Whatever it was, to me that was the, the first turning point of the game for the Lightning. Because it was less than two minutes later where Tyler Johnson pulls a puck off the wall Beats a pinching Ben Hutton as he does it. So he pulls the puck off the wall, pulls it to the middle, and gets it to Andre Pallad, and off he goes in a two-on-one. And it was a perfectly executed odd man rush on Andre Pallad's part. He started the play up the ice. Johnson started the play. But Pallad led the play up the ice. And he waited for the right moment wasn't in too close, but wasn't too far for that perfect seam to open up, and he feeds Tyler Johnson on the back door for a tap-in. I mean, you can't execute a two-on-one any better than those two did in that situation. So it's four and a half minutes after L.A. takes a 2 nothing lead. The Lightning get back into it. It's a 2-1 game. And then the other turning point, that really shifted things towards Tampa Bay's favor was on the power play. And it's interesting how many times have you heard it said, and I've said it, that a, a power play 
you don't always have to score on your power play, but you do have to at least try and grab some momentum. I've watched this game a long time. I haven't seen a power play produce as many opportunities as the Lightning did on that power play chance, and yet they didn't score. They had, and the puck was in the L.A. zone for almost the entire two minutes. It was the first power play unit that was out there the whole time. That's Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point, and Alex Kalorn. In that two-minute span, they had 11 shot attempts, according to the play-by-play. -play. 11 shot attempts in two minutes. Steven Stamkos, I think, had... Do you have six of those? I think Stamkos had six of those. Five shots total on goal of those 11 attempts. Five of them were on goal, so Jonathan Quick made five saves on it. The Kings blocked four. Felt like Alec Martinez <laughs> blocked about six. But he was credited with two blocked shots, four total for the Kings. And it was one of those moments, though, that they were so dominant on that power play. And yes, it's it's one of those ones where they gain momentum. But they almost gained so much momentum that if they didn't score on it, it might have actually given the Kings momentum. That's how odd of a switch it could have been. Because they did everything but score in that situation. And we talked about it yesterday. We asked Dave Mishkin about it. The power play is in a little bit of a rut. And it can be cyclical. They have one power play goal in the previous six or seven games going into last night. So they create all this momentum and they're in the zone and the Kings are just scrambling left and right and they're doing everything but to put the puck in the back of the net and you're thinking... Okay, that built momentum, but can this turn things the other way if the Kings kill this off? Well, as it turned out, 13 seconds after the power play expired, the Lightning kept with it. They kept with it. The puck retrieval was fantastic on that shift. And after Steven Stamkos had a shot blocked, he recovered the puck, swung it back around the end boards, and he ends up being back in his spot over the left circle, and he gets a pass from Nikita Kucherov, and one times a puck in, and ends up being a tying goal. So it doesn't count as a power play goal. It did come 13 seconds after the penalty expired to tie the game up. And, you know, you feel that, okay, now they're on even ground. The game's on even ground. What are they going to do next? And I felt that from then on out, it was, you know, the Lightning played a, ooh, what's the f right word I'm looking for here? They executed a good game plan. Again, getting back to an identity they want to create for themselves. And that's a team that doesn't give up much, doesn't turn the puck over much, Protects the middle areas of the ice. I thought they did that really well. Even though the numbers look a little skewed, especially in the third period, 
and Eric Chernak scored four minutes in. Steven Stamkos wins an offensive zone draw. Nikita Kucherov picks up the puck, feeds it back to Chernak, and Chernak, the former L.A. Kings draft pick, a former second-round draft pick of L.A., scores what ends up being the empty net goal, or the winning goal, with a wrist shot to the inside of the top far post. Really good shot. You know, I, we've said it. I, I think there's upside to Eric Chernak's offensive game. We haven't seen it much this year as opposed to last year. And then from then on out, I think the, the Lightning played a very controlled defensive game. And this is what we've talked about with how they want to approach games. Okay, you have a 3-2 lead in the third period. What are you doing now? You don't change the way you play. Right? You don't change the way you want to execute. But you cut down on your risk attempts. You don't force plays. You make sure pucks get out. There were a couple minutes late in the game where maybe they held on to the puck a fraction too late. Because of the third period, the shot attempts were 26-10 in favor of the Kings, but they didn't give up much at all. Of those 26 shot attempts, only five scoring chances allowed. Again, according to natural stat trick, and only one high danger chance. So the Kings created six high danger chances in the game. Only one of them came in the third period. And they create 17 scoring chances, which is a pretty low number based on the formula that natural stat trick uses. And only five of those came in the third period. So even though the, the, the puck possession belonged to the Kings, they weren't getting pucks through. Tampa Bay blocked 11 shots in that third period. So there's a team. That's a, that's a really good indicator to me about how a team is wanting to protect the lead. That's how you protect the lead. You don't have to go out and score the fourth goal. So you don't force your way to try and score a fourth goal. You just make sure you don't give up the third one. That's the mentality that the coaching staff has been trying to instill in this team. And I think last night was a really good example of that. Protect the house. I've heard Pat Maroon use that phrase a few times. Protect the house. And I think in the third period in particular, they did a really, really good job of that. Because, again, you know, 26 shot attempts, but can you sit here and say that the Kings ever looked really dangerous in the third period? After it was 3-2 Tampa Bay? I didn't feel that way. Again, there were a couple of moments where the puck was along the boards in the final couple of minutes, and I'm thinking to myself, just get it out. doesn't matter how you get it out. Just get it out and reset. You know, and they would hold on to it for a fraction of a second too long. You know, and, and it's you can't really do that because, you know, the opposition is going to be right on top of you or, you know, chipping off the glass or, you know, of course, then you have to be careful you don't chip it too much because you don't want to put it over the glass and, you know, give the other team a power play. But I just I just felt that the way that they protected the middle areas of the ice in that third period is the type of game, the type of defense that the coaching staff has been asking this team to play for a good portion of the season. And last night it felt like they did that. 
So this process, this plan, I know I've used that phrase a lot, but I'm going to continue to use it when I see games like this. That's all part of it. That's all part of it. So Steven Stamkos ends up with two goals and an assist. Empty net goal with a half second left on the clock. Braden Point with two assists. Nikita Kucherov with two assists. Uh, an overall, I think, a really, really good game for Tampa Bay after after the little bit of a shaky start. And, I, you know, I was asked by Jason last night during our second intermission uh, question session with Greg Lanelli that we do for every game about slow starts again, why? And to me, and I'll answer it again as it's it's in my head, there's, you know, I, I could give you a ton of reasons why, especially last night's game, there was a little bit of a slow start. You know, but they would just be excuses. The emotions the Kings had, first game in the Pacific time zone. You know, there's a lot that goes into that. But bottom line for me, for the Lightning to establish themselves Early in the game, I want to see their forecheck get going early. I think that's the one thing we haven't seen from them in some of these slow starts that they've had is they, you know, as John Cooper's used the phrase, they kind of just, you know, test the waters. They don't jump into the waters. They test them. I want to see them get in the forecheck early, establish that speed, establish some of that ability to recover the puck on the forecheck. To me, I think that's that's a, a, a strength of this team. I think it's part of their identity. We've talked about it early in the year. They don't, they've taken some of the east-west out of their game and doing more north-south because they have the speed to be able to do it. They have some tenacious four-checkers. Braden Point, Anthony Sorelli, Mitchell Stevens now, Yanni Gord. You know, they have guys who can really get in on the four-check. And I think it's important for Tampa Bay to start to establish that earlier in a game. I think that can get them into the games, and maybe that will allow them to have quicker starts. All right, let's take a break. Uh, I want to discuss Yanni Gord. Uh, I know, I think Stephanie asked this question. I think she, maybe she asked it earlier in the week, or maybe last week. There's a lot of discussion amongst the fan base going on around, about Yanni Gord. Uh, so I want to discuss him a little bit. On the other side of this break, don't forget, we're still going to talk a little bit about the Battle of Alberta since we brought it up yesterday on the show. Uh, so I want to discuss what happened in that game. And, of course, your questions, if you use the hashtag AskEE, find me on Twitter, or you can email me, eric at lightninginsider.com. That's E-R-I-K. Uh, so we'll do all of that when we come back after this break. Stick around. Oh, we've got more lightning talk for you. Unbelievable. Get a heaping helping of hockey with Lightning Lunch. It's your window to wait game. On Lightning Power Play. Welcome back to Lightning Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Eric Ronson from lightninginsider.com, your host. Breaking down last night's game against the LA Kings, a 4-2 
victory, eight straight wins now over Los Angeles. Told you yesterday, it's a building to have success in. For whatever reason, it's hard to hard to put a pin on these things sometimes on why and how things work out for teams in certain places against certain teams. Uh, just what did I say last night? This, this, there are things that are difficult in life to explain. Stonehenge, the pyramids, Nashville winning eight straight games over Washington. How do you explain that? How do you explain the Nashville Predators? Is that the revenge of Philip Forsberg? It's just, it, it's just hard to explain sometimes. The Lightning winning eight straight against the LA Kings. Hard to explain sometimes. All right, uh, told you I wanted to bring up Yanni Gord because a lot of people saying, oh, he needs to be sent to the minors. Oh, you need to get rid of him. Oh, he's not living up to the contract. Oh, he can't score goals. I, I do find it difficult to fathom sometimes how certain people want to give up on a player so quickly. I mean, how many, and I saw this plenty, how many people wanted to run Victor Hedman out of town? Wanted to run Victor Hedman out of town. Oh, he can't hit, he can't skate, he can't do this, he can't do that. And we just have no patience for things. Did Yanni Gord all of a sudden forget how to score goals? No. Is he scoring goals right now? No. Is he lacking some confidence right now? Absolutely. He absolutely is lacking big-time confidence. But if you only want to judge Yanni Gord on his offensive production, and, and I've had this debate with Greg many times, I don't like to tie production with contracts. I think they're separate entities. Each team puts a certain value on a player relevant to their contract. Are those contracts based on certain numbers? Yeah, of course they are. You know, we know Yanni Gord is a two-time 20-goal scorer. Right? He's coming off back-to-back 20-goal -back scores. So we only want to base Yanni Gord's play on his offensive production. But he brings so much more to the ice, and this is what you always look for. Does a guy like Yanni Gord, if he's not producing the offense, and he's used to producing offense at every level he's ever played at, including the NHL. It, what else is he doing? Is he thinking too much about the aspect of his game that is lacking and that sacrifices other things that he does? Or is he making sure he's still doing the right things to bring value to help the team win games? That's the question that I think you have to ask yourself a lot. Now, again, we want to see him produce. But this is where you sort of dig into the numbers a little bit. And you ask yourself, well, is he just forget how to score? Or is he just having a bad year when it comes to scoring?
Well, it, it comes down to he's having a bad year when it comes to trying to score goals. His shooting percentage is six and a three quarter percent. Six point seven. Six point seven six to be exact. So that's a low shooting percentage. For especially for a forward. And he's you know, he's getting shots. He gets shots off. He's actually six on the team. This is five on five now. Six in the team and shots on goal of 74. I, I know that number's dropped off because he probably hasn't shot the puck as much here of late. So that's where you account for the shooting percentage is the 6%. But in terms of individual shots, five on five, the only players who have produced more shots on goal than him, Kevin Shattenkirk, we know he likes to shoot the puck a lot. Eric Chernak, that's a surprising name to see there. Steven Stamkos, Andre Palat, and Nikita Kucherov. So he he's putting pucks on net. This other this is another metric: individual expected goals. Right, so this is an individual number for a player. Again, he's seventh on the team in individual expected goals. Kucherov, Point, Sorelli, Palat, Johnson, Stamkos are the only players ahead of him when it comes to that number. Scoring chances created four. Drops a little bit lower. He's eighth in that category. But again, he's ahead of Alex Kalorn. He's ahead of a Carter Verhage. He's ahead of a Victor Hedman. Right? He's ahead of Kevin Shattenkirk. And then the next category, high danger chances, four. He is sixth on the team. Only Braden Point, Anthony Sorelli, Tyler Johnson, Nikita Kucherov, and Andre Palat have created more individual high danger chances on the season. So you, you see some of these numbers. And look, I know the goals aren't there, but he's still putting himself in a position to create offense. It's just not working for him right now. It's just not going in. And he actually had a, a situation last night where that power play that I referenced, the one where they had so many shot attempts and ended up tying the game on, it was Yanni Gord who drew the penalty to create that power play. We know he's a feisty player. Doesn't back down from anybody. And he kind of went back and forth a little bit with Cur Curtis McDermott, King's defenseman, and he drew a slashing call. So guess what he did? He did something to help his team try and win the game. Did he end up on the scoreboard, on the score sheet for it? No. He did not. But, again, as we break down these numbers, he's... His 10, he's drawn 10 penalties. Again, this is 5-on-5. Five five. He's drawn 10 penalties, which is tied for third most on the team. He doesn't give the puck away. So he does a lot of things to help the team win. It's just we're trying to value 
and hold Yanni Gord up to the standard he has set. There's nothing wrong with that. But I had, as I mentioned a couple days ago, you know, I, these people who would show up, these fans who would show up on my timeline and only want to criticize, never want to praise, showed up in my timeline last night, say, how come the Lightning don't send Yanni Gore to the minors? Is there some sort of protection going on? Hey, <laughs> he's got to go through waivers. But you're not, you're not sending Yanni Gore to the minors. You're not sending Yanni Gore down to the minors. I just, I don't get this mentality where we want to give up on a player so quickly. So quickly. He's having a bad half of the year, offensively. Offensively, he's having a bad first half of the year. You, you, you want to get rid of him because of that? I mean, were, were we ready to get rid of Braden Point because he wasn't scoring at the pace we're used to seeing two months into the season? No, it's ludicrous to think that in my mind. I don't understand why so many people want to jump all over a player and just get rid of him. Yanni Gore does a lot of good things for this team. We're just used to seeing him score, and he's not. He's not. But to suggest that he needs to go back to Syracuse? Come on. Come on, man. I, I think we want to see him score. And I and I told you I had him on the opening faceoff show the last home game ahead of the Kings, and he's frustrated. He's frustrated he's not scoring. It's getting to him. You know, we saw it in the Dallas game. He had a two-on-one, tried to give a return pass rather than shooting the puck, right, like it's affecting him. It's affecting him. And that's where you don't want to let it inf infect his game. It's affecting him, but don't let it infect your game. And I don't think it is. I think he's still doing a lot of the things that he can bring to the table to try and help the team win. All right, that's my rant on Yanni Gordon. If you have a different feeling, let me know. But I am warning you, if you're going to show up in my timeline and only criticize when Yanni Gord scores five goals in six games or whatever it ends up being, if it gets to that point, I, I want you to be in my timeline and say, hey, he's playing well. He's playing well. So don't just be a one-sided commentator. You know what I mentioned? I don't know. It's easy to be negative, right? It's... Negativity sells. I get it. Don't like it, but I get it. This is why, as I talked to you on Tuesday, perspective and balance. Right? We need to have perspective and balance as we assess things. And I and I hope I can bring some of that to everybody here on the show. All right, let's take another break. Uh, we're going to touch on the Battle of Alberta when we come back and the situation between the Flames and the Oilers. We'll do that right after this. This is Lightning Lunch with LightningInsider.com's Eric Erlinson. You gonna eat that? What, that? No. Yes. No. Well, no, I, I crossed my mind. Yeah. On Lightning Power Play. 
Alright, welcome back to Lightning Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Eric Rawlinson from LightningInsider.com. Your host, we're here each and every Monday through Friday from 12 to 1. That'll be for the rest of the season. I don't think there's no breaks on the schedule, so we'll be here right on through the rest of the regular season and into the postseason for you as well. Um, before we get to the Battle of Alberta, Alex Ovechkin last night scored his 693rd career goal, moved him past Steve Eiserman on the all-time list, uh, goal-scoring list in league history. I mean, he's a he's going to hit 700 here, obviously, very soon. Um, next up on the list is uh, Mark Messier. He's already in the top 10 in scoring or in goal scoring in the history of the game. Um, but did you catch did you catch the video of Steve Steve Eiserman? They played it on the on the broadcast last night. If you were watching the Capitals Nashville game before the Lightning and Kings came on. You know, Steve Eiserman spent nine years here. Had a lot of conversations with Steve through the years. He's a very, shall we say, stoic individual. Maybe didn't like to show much of his lighter side to the media. We certainly saw the other side of it. But, you know, he had a little video congratulating Ovechkin on passing him. And he mentioned how... You know, it looks like he's going to play forever. And and then talked about how, you know, there's a possibility that on the pace that Ovechkin is going at, he could challenge Wayne Gretzky for the all-time goal-scoring lead. It's a number that nobody thought anybody would approach. So Eisman said, and I hope you do. And then he added this little colorful moment. He said, based on your... Uh, celebrations after winning the Stanley Cup, when you pass Gretzky, I want to be invited to the party. Like, that's not Steve Eisenman's personality. I thought it was pretty funny. But that's not normally his personality, but I thought that was pretty funny. That, that video is floating around out there somewhere if you want to go find it in the Twitterverse. Uh, all right, last night's Battle of Alberta. We set it up yesterday. We talked about it a lot yesterday in terms of the situation between Matt Kachuk and Zach Cassian. Cassian was suspended two games for wanting to get a, a, a pound of flesh the last time the teams met, didn't like a couple of the hits that Kachuk delivered. Uh, and it ended up being Cassian that got suspended for being an aggressor, trying to pull around and, and throw punches at an unwilling combatant. And last night was the first game. A lot of talk leading up to it because of comments made by Cassian, who said after talking to NHL Director of Player Safety, George Peros, mentioned, well, now that I know what a legal hit is, now I know where I can go and basically exact some revenge on Kachuk in terms of where he could hit him and how he could hit him. So, of course, a lot of hype built up to the game. You know, I mentioned yesterday about how those two teams through the years have had some 
really, really vicious battles in the mid-80s, late-80s. Provincial rivals. Only two hours apart. I've made that drive a few times between Edmonton and Calgary. Takes you right through Red Deer. It's about the midway point between the two places. Have you ever heard of Red Deer? So you get into the game last night and everybody's waiting, right? George Peros is there. Stephen Walkham, director of, uh, director of officiating, is in the building. This took place in Edmonton last night. What was going to happen? Would anything happen? Look, it was an important game for both teams. That Pacific division is very, very tight from top to bottom. So points are very valuable. So would the sideshow take precedent over what was more important, and that was the game itself? Would some of the supposed antics take place? I thought it was interesting that Jeff Ward, the Calgary interim head coach, did, you know, the, the visiting team has to put their lineup out on the ice first. He put Kachuk's line out there, which also included Milan Lucic. But Dave Tippett did not put Cassian out on the ice, so that diffuse that potential fireworks show there. And of course, Edmonton or Calgary scores on that first shift. Kachuk didn't get it, but he was in position. He was right in the front of the net. It ends up being a goal for Lucic, who was trying to hit Kachuk driving the net. It went off in Edmonton's player's stick and into the net. So I told you I was going to have this game off on one of my windows, and I did trying to keep as close to eye as I could on it. So I look over, and there's a fight taking place. <laughs> if you had your hand up, when I, if somebody would have said, the first fight in the game last night was going to be between Sean Monahan and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, yeah, that was the first fight. I didn't see what led up to it, but that was the first fight. Very odd and interesting that that was the first one. But finally, everybody got what they expected in some case. During a face-off in the Calgary zone, Cassian and Kachuk were lined up against each other at the face-off circle, and you could see them talking. You want to go? Is it time? Let's do it. Yep, let's go. And you can see Kachuk start to take his glove off before this puck was even dropped. And they, they went at it. Punches were thrown. A couple of them landed. And according to Cassian, now it's over. Kachuk lived up to the code. However you want to put it, I think it's stupid and silly that we have to live by this quote-unquote quote code, but it's there. Kachuk just said people kept telling him not to do it. And the more people were telling him not to do it, the more he wanted to do it. Now, that should be the end of it, right? Even though we saw Zach Ronaldo, and we know how much of a wingnut Zach Ronaldo can be, right, Connor? He's a wingnut. He was at the end of the Calgary bench as Cassian went off. I guess it was towards the, the end of the second period when that fight finally happened. 
basically Zach Ronaldo said, I got next. I got next. I don't know how much time, ice time, Ronaldo ended up with last night. But keep in mind, these two teams meet again on Saturday in Calgary. It's a Hockey Night in Canada game. Wouldn't be surprised if Lucic and or Ronaldo, if he plays, now go after Cassian. So is this going to build again? And, you know, plenty of, there's plenty of people who think this was great, created a lot of interest, created a lot of hype. I get it. A lot of times we're a bloodthirsty society, but so were the Romans at one point. Doesn't make it right. But I think it was the wrong kind of hype. Because at the end of the day, while that was the attraction, again, I didn't watch much of the game, but a lot of people did, and a lot of people I follow did certainly watch the game. Said it was an exceptional hockey game. And it had nothing to do with the fights, but an exceptional hockey game for two teams battling for important points as the calendar gets ready to flip to February. Because as we look at the standings in the Pacific Division, Vancouver sits on top with 62. Calgary ended up winning that game last night in a shootout, so they got the extra point. They're in second with 60 points. Edmonton's at 58 points. Vegas is at 57, and Arizona is at 57. So you've got five points separating five teams, three points separating second from fifth in this division. And then you get the California teams bringing up the rear. But you see how close it is. So these points are very important for both teams. Edmonton is desperate to make the playoffs with the best player on the planet on their team. They've only done it once since he was taken by the Oilers. So they're desperate to get back into the playoffs and see what McDavid can do. You know, he did got there once. Edmonton got out of the first round. Went to game seven against Anaheim in, in round two. And then Calgary, off of their disappointment, remember they were knocked out in the first round last year. They were the number two ranked team in the league, first in the West. They were knocked out by Colorado in round one. They have something that they want to live through or live up to. So those games were important. So it turned out to be a really, really good hockey game, and it really didn't have much to do with the sideshow. I can do without those type of sideshows. But it was there. It generated interest. Was it P.T. Barnum? I love using P.T. Barnum quotes who said there's no such thing as negative attention or bad publicity. I, I, th I don't think that's necessarily the right kind, but there you are. All right, I want to get to Bob's question here. Uh, Connor, we're not going to take another break, so we're good. Um, Bob's question, and I it's been brought up a few times. Uh, but his question is the drop-off in scoring except for the top line is a little concerning. Noticeable is Pat Maroon's line. Has his ice time decreased or just a bit of a scoring slump? Still like his physical play and that of his line. Thoughts on overall 
balanced scoring? Well, I guess it depends on what's your definition of balanced scoring. Are we only thinking that because Steven Stamkos has scored four of the six goals in the first two games coming out of the break? Is that in our mind? Is, you know, because you got a goal from Tyler Johnson last night. You got a goal from Eric Chernak last night. So you had three. Well, Chernak was out there with the Stamkos line because it was coming off of an icing, and they put that line out there for the offensive zone draw. So Chernak's goal came with the point Stamkos Kucherov line on the ice. But what do you consider balanced scoring? Because you have three, six, seven players in double digits in scoring. Of the 25 players to appear in a game this year for the Lightning, 23 of them have a goal. Uh, in terms of Pat Maroon, and let me look at his real quick while I have it up. In terms of his ice time, as Bob asked, look, you didn't bring in Pat Maroon to score goals. Anything he gives you is a bonus. He's out there for a different reason. In a lot of ways, that line is out there for a different reason. You know, he ended up with the winning goal in Philadelphia. But his ice time, it's been pretty balanced. 12 minutes, 9 minutes, 10 minutes, 11 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 14 minutes, 14 minutes, 7 minutes, 12 minutes, 14, 13... So his ice time is around the same. That hasn't really changed, Mont. There were a few games early in the year where he was up around 17. But, And also the other thing to keep in mind, you didn't sign Pat Maroon for the regular season, right? You signed Pat Maroon for April and hopefully May and hopefully June. You know, you're not counting on Cedric Paquette to bring you a lot of offense. You're counting on Cedric Paquette to be a player – who can provide physicality and be a pest and kill penalties and win face-offs. You know, you look at his ice time over the last little while, 14, 11, 15, 15, 14, 13. So the ice time is pretty uh, in line. You know, now, and you ask about balanced scoring, well, Anthony Sorelli had a hat trick, right, in the last game going into the break. You know, and as we break it down, Kucherov, 22 goals. Stamkos, 22.18. Victor Hedman, 9. Alex Kalorn, 20. Sorelli, 12. Palat, 12. Uh, you know, I, I, don't know, I don't think the depth scoring has dropped off. I think it's a little below last year for a number of reasons. But I, I think you still have it there. You know, I, I think you'd, you'd like to see the Verhage-Gord Stevens line, they've created a lot of chances since they've been together, especially Gord, but we talked about him already. He's creating chances. He's just he's just having one of those years where nothing's going in. He's not finishing anything. So I mean I, I guess what do you consider balanced scoring? You know, would if they went back to the lines that they had previously that ran for a while, you know, you're putting a lot of Juice in the uh, Stamkos-Kucherov point line for sure. Those are three 40-goal scorers from last year. I think it was more balanced in terms of being spread out when you had 
Stamkos with Sorelli and Kalorn, and then you had Palat, Point, Kucherov. But then what do you do with Tyler Johnson? We had that conversation before. Where does he fit into that, into that grand scheme? Does he have to play a top six role? Well, you know, Kalorn's ice time and his production this year has demanded he get more of an opportunity in a top six, and he's produced. You know, whereas Johnson is, you know, it, Tyler Johnson had 29 goals last year. We don't think much about that because of the offensive years from the big three in Kucherov, Stamkos, and Point. You know, so his production certainly has dropped off. He's at 12 goals through 45 games. Missed a few games with injury. But you look at the back end. Victor Hedman, nine goals. Kevin Shattenkirk, seven. Mikhail Sergachev, seven goals. You know, Chernak last night scored his fourth goal. So, I guess, I don't know, are we comparing it to last year? Are we trying to keep it in line with last year? Um, I still think the, the depth is there. Is it producing at the level it did last year? No. No. But then, then again, that team last year put together an offensive year we haven't seen in two decades. Put up those type of offensive numbers. And it wasn't just those big three. Obviously, you know, you get 120 goals combined between three players. That's a big chunk of your offense for sure. But, you know, we just mentioned that Tyler Johnson had 29 goals. And, you know, but you're getting more production out of Alex Kalorn. He's already set a career high in goals. You're getting a pretty good bounce back year from Andre Pallott. I think we'd like to see his production a little higher. But again, coming off of a couple of injury-plagued years, you know, he's 31 points through 49 games. So, I, I, I mean, I, I, see, I see where the thought process is. Uh, I think the numbers are off from last year, but I think their offensive numbers in total are off from last year for, what do they say, regressing to the mean or just coming back down to more normal numbers from what they put on last year. So, all right, that's going to wrap up today's show. Don't forget that Greg Lanelli has Lightning Power Play live for you tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, on tomorrow's show, as Tampa Bay is in Anaheim to face the Anaheim Ducks for another 10 p.m. start, that game will be back on Sun Sports, by the way. But tomorrow I've got Ken Campbell from the Hockey News, senior writer. We'll talk about uh, a little bit about the Lightning, but uh, we got some league topics I want to bring up with Ken. He's had a couple of columns that he's written here of late that I want to discuss with him. Um, so we'll have Ken Campbell on the show tomorrow. He'll join us on the phone line. All right, thanks, everybody, as always, for listening. Thanks to your questions, and, and Bob in particular today. It was a good topic. Uh, thanks to Connor Zelinski, as always, for making it sound good and true. We'll be back again at tomorrow, Lightning Lunch, 12 o'clock. So until then... Bye-bye, everybody!